0: What number is this, Chip?
1: Happy holidays to one and all. The holidays are here. The holidays are here. This is Peter Torkin. This is Michael Nesmith.
0: This is Mickey Dolan's of the Monkeys.
1: And you are listening to Zilch.
0: Ho, ho, ho! <laughs> okay, no, I mean, like, don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. Zilch. Zilch.
2: You're listening to Zilch, a Monkeys podcast.
3: Welcome to Zilch, your podcast full of monkeys, and today we are listening to and celebrating Monkey's Christmas Party. That's right, we're having one of those old-fashioned Zilch Monkey's album roundtables. I'm Ken Mills, one of your hosts here today, and today I'm joined by Tim Powers. Hi, I'm wearing an ugly sweater. Christine Carlson-Wolf.
4: Hi, I'm wearing a Christmas hat.
3: Sarah Clark.
4: I hung some ornaments on my pink party hat.
3: Roseanne Welsh. And I did
5: not bake any cookies because that's my kid's job.
3: Ah. There you go. And I'm stuffed like the turkey. So there you uh. go. So we are blessed, depending on who you talk to, with a new Christmas album from the Monkees called Christmas Party. And it pretty much follows the same kind of... Uh, Making as good times did would would you not agree, Tim? I think
6: this is uh, about as original monkeys concept a Christmas album as you can get, where it's it's each guy and their own producers and their own backing tracks and their own productions uh, coming together for a for a cohesive cohesive in quotes uh, album. It's it's a it's a great Christmas record. Um, in fact, I told someone it it plays right alongside some of the holiday classics uh, from the era like the Phil Spector Christmas album. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll definitely get into that as we go on. Roseanne, what are your overall thoughts on the Monkees' Christmas Party album?
5: Um, I found it odd listening to Christmas music in California when it's 87 degrees outside.
3: Mm-hmm. But
5: then I was reminded of the original opening to White Christmas, which all has to do with there's never been such a beautiful day in Beverly Hills, L.A., and that's why we dream about White Christmas. So I got into it, but I also was really interested in having read Sarah's um, review on fandom lenses. And I thought I really liked the idea that it's part happy dancing and part melancholy, sort of just like Christmas is.
3: Mm -hmm. Christine, your thoughts on the Monkey's Christmas party?
7: Well, after hearing it, I'm uh, wondering what took so long to get it. But uh, at the same time, the timing is perfect because it is a perfect follow-up to Good Times in my eyes between the blend of not only classic vocals from Davy, but classic uh, Christmas songs, as well as new material by many of the same writers that were on Good Times. So it is the perfect addition to my Christmas playlist. So I'm very happy to have it.
3: Mm-hmm. And Sarah, your thoughts?
4: I wasn't sure what to expect coming into this one. I mean, I heard the single Unwrappy at Christmas, which I liked. I do like. It almost feels like two albums in in some ways, and both of them are excellent albums. There's kind of this side to it that's very kind of upbeat and traditionally Christmassy and sort of the, you know, jingle bells kind of way. But there's also just sort of this interesting, I don't know, melancholy is kind of the best word I've, or bittersweet maybe is the best word I can can think of it, kind of tinged to it, especially in Mike and Peter's songs. I think the songs that they chose and also their performances, and it kind of bring us to sort of, you know, the more bittersweet times uh, part of the holidays too, because I, I think that, you can often have those two kind of forces and in, in emotions in tension at those times of the year, you know, just, just as the nature of the holiday. And I think that uh, it, it's sort of both of those things are at play in this album, but it makes it a really interesting listen and more so than you would just think going, ooh, Monkey's Christmas album. So,
3: yeah, some of the best holiday music has always bordered on the surreal, the whimsical. Mm -hmm. And the the sad things that we remember from our youth and a look ahead. And this album does all of that on some level at some point. This is the 13th album by the Monkees, produced mainly by Adam Schlesinger, with Michael Nesmith's tracks produced by his sons Christian and Jonathan. The album is the first focus on a purely Christmas album. It follows on the success of their 2016 album Good Times. The two-year gap is the shortest between albums since the 69-1970 release of The Monkees Present and Changes. The album features surviving Monkees Mickey Dolenz, Michael Nesmith, and Peter Tork, as well as two posthumous contributions from Davy Jones. The album features a mix of covers of earlier Christmas songs and new holiday tunes written specifically for the album from some of the several writers of Good Times. So, there you go. There are two different versions, the one you can get everywhere, and then the Target version, which is exclusive to Target, and it's got two other tracks. We'll get to that later at the towards the end of this discussion. And Davy's Stuff and Christmas is My Time of Year was produced by Chip Douglas. So, there you go. So we're going to kick it off. We're going to open up the album. The first track is Unwrap You at Christmas written by Andrew Partridge.
2: I can't wait to unwrap you at Christmas. You are the
3: the band is going to stay the same so we'll just kind of read them off right now. On backing vocals we've got David Mead uh, on this track, bass, keyboards and guitar Adam Schlesinger, drums Brian Young and there's a string quartet on there and lead guitar is Michael Eisenstein. This was recorded in May 6th, 9th, July 19th and 29th and September 7th 2018. When I first heard this track, it kind of uh, made me worry about how good the rest of the album was going to be, because this seems like a song that should have come out about 1977, 1978. Tim, you mentioned something about some of the classic Phil Spector kind of sounds. This is in that big time, wouldn't you say?
6: Yep, I would I would agree entirely, and I think that's uh, specifically by design. Uh, if I mean, if I'm pro, if I'm program director at an all Christmas radio station that starts what what they're doing that now what July fifth now yeah. going all Christmas music, you know, and and I see the monkeys show up on my list of available songs. If it doesn't sound like what I expect to have heard out of my little monorail RCA television in 1966, I might walk past it. And I think that was uh, this the song was directly. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of these cuts were specifically uh, produced to sound kind of retro. But Unwrap You at Christmas, uh, yeah, it's, it sounds like you could play it back-to-back with the Ronettes' Frosty the Snowman.
3: Or the song from Christmas Vacation. <laughs> yes, or the song <laughs> from Christmas Vacation. What do you think of the lyrics, Christine?
7: Well, they're very, they're very suggestive, of course. Mickey delivers them in a style that I expected nothing less. He uh, he certainly knows how to act a song, doesn't he? He's very uh, seductive and slinky in his delivery, and I, you know, it it makes you buy
5: in.
3: Hmm. Roseanne and Sarah, is there anything that jumps out to you about this song?
5: I feel oddly that I'm going to disagree with Christine that it's not as sexy as it could be. Um, it doesn't ring like Sugar Sugar does, and maybe a Christmas song shouldn't, but it certainly didn't stand up to Santa Baby by Earth Eartha Kidd. Um, but that's talking about Catwoman, which is talking about a whole nother podcast mm. that Ken is involved in, but it right. I, I wasn't as sexy as I wanted it to be.
3: Really? So you wanted it to be sexier? Well, oh, I think we all wanted it to be sexier, Ken,
6: admit it.
7: It's it's not on the level of sugar, sugar. That's mm-hmm. for sure. There's almost nothing Ooh. that could be yeah, yeah. <laughs> true. Yeah. I got to open a window right now. OK, <laughs> <laughs> no.
3: Sarah.
4: <laughs> well, a lot of my thoughts have kind of been covered one of the things i i did note is i think i understand why this was dropped as the the lead off single uh why why we heard it first because it it even though it's andy andy partridge writing it it has sort of a, you know, a a sort of a she makes me laugh kind of thing sort of a fun kind of you know fun relationship with a cool girl you know party kind of vibe to it
3: very true um it's weird. Some of the criticism of this track is that it sounds too old, but I think they were going for that.
4: Uh, it was deliberate.
3: Yeah, I think it's just pretty much what Andrew Partridge envisioned So yep. when he made the demo. There we go. Christmas songs, by and large, the, the popular contemporary
6: Christmas songs are, are deliberately produced to sound retro. That um, Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas is You song is deliberately that's her song right i forget
7: yes but, Yes. okay yes. uh
6: it's deliberately produced to sound like it came out of uh out of 1965 mm-hmm. and and this is this is no different i mean that's that's just what you get
3: mm-hmm. well the next track what would santa do Santa Do is written by Rivers Cuomo. He returns to the writer's chair. And along with the last track, Unwrap You at Christmas and What Would Santa Do, you almost get the same vibe that these are taking the place of She Makes Me Laugh, and You Bring the Summer. We've got Mickey taking lead vocal on this one. Band is the same before. This was recorded over May 6th, 8th, 9th, July 17th, and July 30th, 2018 as well. And Sarah, I want you to take the lead on this one.
4: Absolutely, it's kind of funny because I agree with the kind of rhyming thematically with "Unwrap You at Christmas" and "What Would Santa Do" versus uh, "She Makes Me Laugh" and "You Bring the Summer." Except we flipped the authors because I think, you know, Rivers Cuomo's contribution here with "What Would Santa Do" actually puts me slightly in the in the mind of "You Bring the Summer" a little bit more. But what it really puts me in mind of is a conversation that Roseanne and I, um, in sort of the time warp world of Zilch, I don't think you will have heard this conversation yet. But we got to talking about uh, David Gates' song uh, "Diary" that Mickey did for Remember, mm-hmm. and sort of the um, the the Act Three twist in that song, and you kind of get that same mm-hmm. thing going on here. And I thought Mickey did a great job in it, and it brought kind of that you know sweet tart almost you know harry nielsen thing to the song Roseanne. i agree with sarah and the idea
5: that i think christine mentioned earlier that mickey can act a song and it's the kind of i'm not saying he's he is frank sinatra but that's what frank sinatra could do he acted as well as sang um and i think that's what's necessary in a story kind of a song like this so yeah i think it worked
3: christine your thoughts on what would santa do
7: I mean, I felt that he was having a real tug of war with himself between the the realization or the reveal that the song provides uh, and and trying to keep his cool about it all. Right. And and trying to maintain that that be keep on that good list. Don't don't be naughty. Be nice. So I thought that that was an interesting aspect of the song and not to mention the fact that it's uh it's a nice take on the a twist on the what would jesus do right yeah. it's what would santa do
3: tim
6: i think as far as a pop song goes this is probably the most commercially accessible cut on the album if i were walking through a store and i heard this on the overhead um the hook would get me And Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's the only, uh, to a track, I think that's the only one on here that really has the, the traditional pop song making of the, of the good hook. You know, I would, I would be interested if I, if I heard that the refrain, and I went, Oh, I'd like to hear more of this. Mm -hmm. So from a passive listening standpoint, I think it'd be really interesting.
3: Mm Mm-hmm well the lyrics really put me through some changes right because if you just you know at first like christine mentioned that it's kind of like a almost a takeoff on what would jesus do it's what would santa do but when you find out that santa's knocking boots literally christmas uh, santa boots and he hears ho 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 from the other room and uh i I know what that means. There's there's a lot going on in here. That uh, see, I, I'm not sure I necessarily want my Santa mixed with uh, getting into a brawl over over your girl. Santa's not very nice in this one. He should get a lump of coal in this one.
7: Well, he's nice to her.
3: Apparently.
8: <laughs>
6: <laughs> Wait, What's You the, know, uh, that, that's kind of inconclusive, but uh, he's attempting uh, to. In be... <laughs> yeah. the
5: German anti-Santa hey, Frankfurt. <laughs> Yes, it's Krampus boots, it's not Christmas
7: boots
3: (laughs) Up next, we've got track three, (laughs) Melikalikimaka
0: Melikalikimaka is the thing to say On a bright Hawaiian Christmas day that's the island greeting that they send to you From the land where palm trees sway Here they know that Christmas will be green and bright The sun to shine by day and all the stars at night Maka is Hawaii From so far away And I won't be home on Christmas Day But I've got some friends to help me Celebrate in the land where
3: Maka with vocalist Davy Jones. This one was written by Robert Alexander Anderson. And this is a reworking of the work that Chip Douglas and Davy did back in 1991 when the original vocal was recorded. On this one we've got on bass Adam Schlesinger, on drums and percussion Brian Young, on guitar Michael Eisenstein, on steel guitar Mike Swerdlow, and ukulele guitar Chip Douglas. And Davy Jones sounds like he's still with us, right, guys? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And I could not help but cry the first night that I heard this on Spotify, and they were tears of joy. And it took me back to earlier times and earlier Christmases, and it was nice to hear Davy Jones' voice being happy. Roseanne, your thoughts?
5: I agree with you entirely on that. I mean, it's not a monkey's album without Davy. We all know that. So Mm -hmm. he has to come in as soon as possible since he can't be part of the other more recently recorded songs. Um, And I love that it's this funny little Hawaiian song because I have a friend who lives in Hawaii, so I've been there a couple times. And it's beautiful and is a whole other way to celebrate the holidays. And his voice is perfect for it.
3: Mm -hmm. Great energy. Christine, your thoughts?
5: The first
7: thing that I thought when his vocals first come in is – this is stunning. I mean, the, the clarity, the, the, the quality uh, of the recording and the, and the mix is so great. And, oh, he sounds so happy, doesn't he? I, there's nobody that can sell a song like this mm-hmm. the, the way that Davey could. You can hear the smile in his voice.
3: Sarah Clark, your thoughts? This is easily
4: favorite posthumous Contribution that Davey has made to the the Monkees catalog. This is excellent. It makes me want to go seek out some of his solo work from the 80s and 90s. I know there's a lot of things out there, most of which I have not heard. I need to go dig up that stuff. Maybe the Jones girls would be interested in, in, in giving some of it similar treatment to what this has been uh, given with kind of updated arrangements and instrumentals and things like that. And I got to echo with cri- what Christine said. Uh, Davy can sell a holiday tune like nobody's business. I really enjoyed this one and I thought it was just a nice little bit of Hawaiian sunshine on the album.
3: Somebody out there should take all the clips of Davy dancing from head and all of the uh, times on the TV show and make a mix of this using some of the footage from the M- Monkey's Holiday episode. I think that. Someone gets busy on that. That know. would be yeah. great. Could be done very easily. Tim, your thoughts. What do you think of the updated music on top of it?
6: I am not ashamed to say that I own Davy's Christmas album. And I love, the, uh, I love the way that Chip cleaned it up. I like the, the better production on this new version. Uh, it was cheesy then. It's cheesy now. But, you know, it's a monkey's Christmas album. And that's what you're going to get.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, this song is full of cheese. I mean, oh yeah, yeah.
5: No matter who sings it, no matter who sings
3: it, it's just got pineapple on it. That's all.
5: (laughs) Pineapple and (laughs) ham. It's a Hawaiian pizza. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You calling Dave a ham? Yeah, Dave is the ham. (laughs) Exactly.
6: Not the first time. Not even the first time on Zilch that he's been called a ham.
5: That's right. I did not say that. We love ham.
3: One of my favorite singers of all time often says, "I'm not the ham; I'm the whole pig." So there you go. Didn't mean to get into a discussion of luau's, but here we are. Uh, <laughs> and our next track is "House of the Broken Gingerbread." La, la,
8: la.
2: Dark. Two decks of Luna and two sets of clue This double the Christmas but I... That's along to Haughty Christmas and a day. Sing it and the wise men got lost on the way to the house of broken gingerbread, but a scotch and candy.
3: House say. of the Broken Gingerbread written by Michael Shabon with words and Adam Schlesinger with music. Uh, the vocalist is Mickey Dolans, and it's pretty much the same backing band that we've had since the beginning. This was recorded on May 8th, July 19th, and 29th, 2018. Tom D'Orizo writes about House of Broken Gingerbread. He says, what a great song. House of Broken Gingerbread is top ten monkeys for me. The style of the last two albums are what they should have done after Head. Gingerbread is as good as Green Day's Boulevard of Broken Dreams. It's high praise indeed. He says that it has a similar mood and feel that is typical darker monkey sound. Think love is only sleeping, etc. Tim, take lead on this one.
6: This is a rockin little cut. Uh, I think of the, of the 15 cuts that are available uh, on, on the, on the Christmas party album. Uh, this is certainly the most rockin. It's to me musically uh, the most interesting and the, and the standout track the lyrics notwithstanding it's just a well-constructed little rock and roll song and then throw the lyrics in and there's that beautiful little melancholy that many of us have experienced um but if you took it out of the christmas album um and and put it anywhere else it would fit in in a in a non-christmas record just because it's an interesting song Mm -hmm. and uh, and i really like the way that they did it i like the cynicism in mickey's voice i like the i like the way the band approached it um i like the production a lot and i think this is to me this is the standout track
3: Mm -hmm. christine
7: I would agree with that. Uh, it's, it's sonically the most interesting on the album. Uh, lyrically, uh, it's, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> the line about um, two hearted Christmas, half hearted day, St. Nick and the wise men got lost on the way. I heard that. And that was a gut punch. It, I, I was ugly crying at that. I, I didn't expect that to be the reaction. And it was only one time, but man, it, it hit me.
3: Mm-hmm.
7: It's a great
3: track. Roseanne.
5: I love Christine's line about the gut punch because I'm a kid whose parents were divorced and my son has friends whose parents are divorced. And the thing that always hurt me was I was always taking my son to Dylan's mom's house or Dylan's dad's house, but never to Dylan's house. Mm. And the idea that sometimes he'd say, but I have a we in both houses. It wasn't like, it still wasn't a good thing. You know what I mean? And this song completely captures how I felt about that so I think gut punch is the perfect description and I think Mickey really carries it he himself is not a child of divorce but of course he's a divorced father so you have to imagine that that's of course running through his head when he thinks about the music so I think it's really powerful
3: I think that this is probably the first holiday or Christmas song I've ever heard about a divorced family in this sense at least for me you know Sarah your thoughts
4: Yeah, and I don't, in addition to, I can't think of another Christmas song about divorce, I'm sure they're out there. I'm pretty sure that this is the first monkey song that has gone down this road. I mean, it it, in some senses reminds me of Shades of Grey. In fact, these two could be a very depressing you know a side b side of a single because they 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 sort of go to that same kind of melancholy place just from two different angles and i love the lyrics on it it just so to the point and and cynical i mean you can just hear this teenage kid singing about this this christmas they're experiencing
3: Mm -hmm. our next track the christmas song
1: They know the same.
3: By Bob Wells and the great Mel Torme, the Velvet Fog himself. With surprise vocals for me, by Michael Nesmith. And by that I'm saying, who would have thought Mike would have picked this song, right? <laughs> With Christian Nesmith on guitar and keyboards, Ian Walker on upright bass, Christopher Allis on drums, Pete Finney on pedal steel guitar, Cersei Link on background vocals. This was recorded August 26th through the 28th, 2018. Christine Carlson-Wolf, your thoughts on the Christmas song?
7: Well, I, you know, I was so happy at this point in the album, after that gut punch of House of Broken Gingerbread, I was glad to have a calm, soothing break from the, the melancholy of the previous track. And I particularly love that Nez wanted to do this song. If any of you or the listeners have heard the Rhino podcast about this album where Mickey and Mike were interviewed by our good friend, John Hughes, Mike talked about how the songs around the season are almost holy for him, very, very... um, protected and so he wasn't interested in doing new material he really wanted to do the classic stuff mm-hmm. uh, and that that reverence that he has towards the, the material and towards the season is very evident here I think. And for me, on a personal level, it reminded me very much of gathering around the piano with my family, my my parents. My dad was a professional singer with Lawrence Welk. And after he had retired from that, he and my mom would perform at church on a, like almost on a weekly basis. She was always his pianist. Music was a big deal in our house. And so s- sitting around the piano and singing all these classic songs... This rendition took me right back to my family living room.
3: This is the first classic Christmas song or holiday tune that we have on the album. Roseanne, your thoughts?
5: It's beautiful. It's beautiful to have uh, Nesmith do this at his age, at his stage in life. It's the perfect voice for what this song does. And I guess what I would add to it is the flip of something I'm going to say about Peter later on. But I wonder if... Sometimes we think that Mike, you know, shouldn't have wasted his time being a monkey and he might have done different things, but I think it's the being of a monkey that has allowed him to do this song at this time in his career this well.
3: Exactly. Like, it, mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's going to be harder for Steven Tyler of Aerosmith to do this, right?
5: <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly. I'm not saying
3: that he can't, but, or Dee Snyder from Twisted Sister, you know, anything's possible. But Mike really is his own person. And some of the criticism I've heard of this album is that it's Kirschhnered up, right? And there's uh-huh. some of that is true, but some of the best monkey stuff has been a blend of rebellion and Kirshnerism, right? So there's yeah. there's a there's a balance there. But nobody is going to make Michael Nesmith sing anything he doesn't want to. Yeah. And that much is clear, folks. And you can pout and say that oh you think mike's being manipulated no he knows what he's doing and this is something he wanted to do again see the rhino podcast for full details because they go into that mike addresses it himself sarah your thoughts
4: it never ceases to amuse me that anybody thinks that michael nesmith would ever do anything that he doesn't actually want to do but i digress you said something earlier, Ken, about being surprised that Nez could do a song like this. I, I don't know. He's always had a little bit of a crooner thing that he gets into every once in a while. You know, Don't Call on Me, I Know What I Know from Good Times is also kind of in this vein in a different sort of way. And when I heard that he was doing this song, I was really excited. And I, at, my excitement was validated because he just takes a, a great holiday standard and does it in a beautiful way. And um, this and Snowfall both left me really hoping that maybe we'll get a first national band holiday album. Wouldn't that be something? Or at
3: least an EP.
4: Yeah. Or at least an EP. Yeah. Just throwing a few more of his favorite Christmas songs.
3: Mm-hmm. Or maybe a Christmas party too. Who knows? Who knows? Tim Powers. You know, <laughs> uh, when I, when I, I read about this
6: song before I heard it and I thought, okay, it's uh, on paper. It sounds like, it sounds like it might not be the best idea. And then I remembered, uh, tropical campfires Mm -hmm. and I remembered, uh, the Cole Porter, you know, and Nez's uh, affection for Cole Porter. And I thought, okay, you know what? I can imagine the conversation went down like this. Hey, Nez, we're going to do a Christmas album. Oh, really? What do you want me to do? I don't know. Do a Christmas song. Well, if I'm going to do a Christmas song, I'll do the Christmas song. And that was the end of the conversation. And 20 minutes later, this cut was produced. Um, I, <laughs> it just, it seems like, it seems like, you know, it, it's, it's really, um, it, it, it's, I think it's probably partly Nez's very meta sense of humor. Uh, to do this song, and I'm not saying he did a bad job at all. I'm saying he, he did a fine job, um, and and delivered the song capably and and with the respect that I think someone should bring to something like this. But there's also a little bit of tongue in cheek, you know, and he's well aware mm-hmm. of who he is and what he's doing, and I kind of like that.
3: Mm-hmm. Very good. The next track is Christmas Party. He,
0: he plays football. Oh I don't know who this guy is or this guy here. This guy here. <laughs> What it is it?
3: Christmas Party, written by Peter Buck of REM and Scott McCoy, who was a touring musician with REM and also members of the Minus Five. We've got Mickey on lead vocals and it's pretty much the same band that we've had going except for the Nesmith track except that we have Jody Porter on electric guitar and Peter Buck on electric guitar joining them as well. Scott McCoy also on piano. This was recorded July 15th, 16th, and 19th, 2018. And Christine, I'm going to have you take this one off, but this one made me smile instantly. Go ahead.
7: Yes, I was I was gonna say I was very happy from the opening you can't say notes, but the opening seconds of this track, because you get to hear Davy and the guys from the closing credits of their Christmas show where he's introducing all the behind-the-scenes folks. So you get to hear some some chatter there, and that was a lot of fun. And then it rolls right into what I think is, might be my second favorite track behind uh, Gingerbread. As far as being modern and, and interesting, it's a funky track. And, you know, there's there are uh, tips of the green wool cap to the fact that the writers of the song were monkeys fans because there are uh, references to Andrew Griselda and so forth. I, I really like the the sound, the, the funky um, vibe that this song has. Again, Mickey real, I think he really likes it too because this is kind of stylistically, this is his wheelhouse, right? Mm-hmm. He does a little James Brown thing and so it's 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 a cool track. I like it a lot.
3: This is a holiday song that name checks pretty much some of the best in what we call holiday music. Uh, Everything from the aforementioned Auntie Griselda to Darlene Love, James Brown. Uh, And then it even references the, the naughty and the nice and the cops had to shut us down twice. So I'm wondering if they're actually going back to the song What Would Santa Do where... Santa and Mickey get in a fight. So who knows, you know,
7: (laughs) (laughs) I have to say there's something in about the line in the chorus, uh, you know, where the chorus is, you've heard how some people say wish every day was a holiday the next line, I love the way Mickey delivers it. It's it's both so conversational and and just it, hooky, where the line is, I don't know, that might be too much. Just the way he delivers it, it always kind of pricks my ears. And it's like, I, I gosh, I really like this song.
3: Mm-hmm. And, of course, we mentioned Auntie Griselda being name-checked. The lyric is, Auntie Griselda making righteous with the fudge and your family, but they're hardly fit to judge. So, apparently Auntie Griselda's entire family is not what she thinks they are. So, there you go. Sarah, your thoughts?
4: Oh, I love this. I mean, it's like, which makes sense, given who wrote this. It's sort of like if you took R.E.M. and Harry Nielsen and stuck them in a blender. This is probably the Christmas song that would come out. Um, It's kind of got (laughs) that sweet tart thing and that R.E.M. thing and monkeys references everywhere, which is apropos, as they are all very proud fans. Um, I just... I have to echo a lot of what Christine said. It's just a fun little party song. The opening bit, especially that they picked some of uh, Davy's dialogue from that, uh, from the ending moments of the Christmas episode. That was just delightful.
3: Mm-hmm. It's almost like the album cover come to life, right? Yeah. When you think about it. Well, yeah. It's the title cut of
6: the album. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and it certainly, uh, it, it, pay, it certainly pays fan service. To, uh, to those of us who have stuck it out for the past 50 years. Um, I mean, with the references uh, and direct uh, direct audio straight from the TV show, this really pays a lot of pan, uh, fan service to the fans.
3: Mm-hmm. And Sarah, you mentioned that it sounds like R.E.M. being thrown into a blender, and yet for all of its influences, the monkeys and everything else that came before it, it wound up sounding like a bare naked lady song.
8: Well, there you go. This song
3: sounds so much like the Bare Naked Ladies. I had to check and make sure that somehow or another my disc changer didn't switch on me. Uh, but
6: can the Bare Naked Ladies owe so much to the monkeys anyway?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they do. Listen, I can tell you this from the folks I know in the Bare Naked Ladies camp. When Good Times came out, every night of the tour. They played good times before the concert started. So pretty cool, huh? So cool. So it's really no mistake that uh, if you wear your influences on your sleeve, they start to look like everyone else at some point. True. Yeah. Check out The Bare Naked Ladies. If you like how this song sounds, check out The Bare Naked Ladies because it's right in that wheelhouse. The next track is Jesus Christ.
2: Hey. i
3: written by atheist Alex Chilton from the band Big Star. And I I mention that because there are people who are saying that they don't want any religious overtones on this album. Keep in mind, folks, that some of this song is tongue-in-cheek. Roseanne, would you take lead on this?
5: Sure. I mean, yes, some of this is tongue-in-cheek, but also there there does seem to be a need for a Christmas album to mention the dude the holiday is named after. Otherwise, we're kind of wasting our time. And I say that as a cafeteria Catholic, you know, pick and choose the parts I like and throw away the parts I don't. But I like Christmas. Christmas is good. So I think it's only fair that one of the songs nods to him. I think it's a pretty song, although it's repetitive. Mm -hmm. It could use more interior writing and less repetition of the title line. Um, But that happens with many a song at this time of year. I think that it reminds me of the other foursome who I was a deep fan of as a child who are the Oak Ridge Boys and a song called Jesus Christ Was Born Today, which they do brilliantly on one of their Christmas albums. And when it all comes down to Mickey's singing, I think Mickey's voice is perfect for this kind of, um, at least in the beginning, the sort of softly sentimental, you know, it's got a little sometime in the morning feel at the beginning for me. So It worked. It's not my favorite song on the album, but it worked, and I think it has a place in a Christmas
3: album. Mm -hmm. This track was recorded May 7th through the 10th. Again, it was touched up on July 15th, 16th, and finished on August 30th. So that gives you a bit of the timeline.
6: You overlooked one of Alex Chilton's biggest contributions to music, and that was that he was the front of the box tops as well as Big Star.
3: Yes, he was, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Sarah?
4: For all that I loved uh, Mickey's version of this a, 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 excellent I agree with Roseanne on it I actually think that Peter could have done a very interesting job on this uh, for some reason I guess I'm thinking about thinking back to things like um like I believe you from justice and and, mm-hmm. and things like that I, I think there he could have taken a very this song in a very interesting direction but I, I love Mickey Mickey's take on it too so hmm
7: well, actually, you know, I was not familiar with uh, uh, Big Star's version or, you know, or or honestly a whole lot of their catalog, so it kind of made me go doing a little digging. And I know that there's a lot of talk about this is um, somewhat of a sarcastic take uh, uh, of the subject matter. Um, apparently, their catalog ranged from songs that were highly sarcastic but then also songs that were achingly sincere. Mm -hmm. And so it makes it, I think it really, um, I think it's kind of genius. It lets the listener decide where does this particular song and this particular lyric fall within the big star catalog, right? If it's, we're talking about it starting from them, um, you know, is, is the line the wrong shall fail and the right prevail. Is that, a mockery of christian piety or is it a tribute to genuine faith and Mm -hmm. so i I like that ambiguity um because art is meant to be interpreted by the consumer Mm -hmm. so if if if, for me i am a highly sarcastic snarky believer okay um Mm -hmm. and so (laughs) i'm a
3: believer (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh. I couldn't yeah. leave her I, if I, I tried.
7: High, 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 high face. So I, thought, <laughs> I can't get more meta than that. Yeah. Oh. So I, I like it that that uh, if you want to believe that this song is a sincere homage to the spirit of the origins of this holiday, this song is perfect for that. If you are less inclined, if you are ha- have atheistic tendencies or any other uh, faith-based uh, tendencies, you can take it as well. Of course, it's sarcastic. Just listen to how, how listen to the lyrics. It's it can be applied and applicable for everyone.
3: Mm-hmm. I simply wrote on complaints about this song on Facebook. I said something to the effect of. May you find joy wherever you find it. May you find meaning wherever you find it. And bowl as often as possible. So (laughs) I would add that we should never have stopped riding bikes. I think we'd all be much better off if we never would have stopped riding bikes. So there you go. (laughs) That's my (laughs) message of political import today. (laughs) All I know about Big Star is this, is that I never travel far without a little Big Star. So... (laughs) I'm in love with that song. Anyway, so the next track is I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day. When the
2: snowman brings the snow Well, he just might like to know He's put a great big smile on somebody's face if you jump into your bed
3: by mickey Dolans. so tim you want to take this one i do uh
6: this is uh this is really becoming a contemporary christmas standard it was released the same year as one of my one of my favorite christmas songs merry christmas everybody by slade mm-hmm. which did not make the cut for this album and i'm kind of glad for it leave it where it is but i wish it could be christmas every day has been covered uh, by just about everybody since it was released in 1973, it's been covered mm-hmm. by uh, the Spice Girls. It's been covered by uh, Wilson Phillips. It's been covered by the Wombles. Uh, cheap I, the a cheap trick. Eight cheap trick. The A teens Kylie Minogue has done it. I think can everybody except you and me have published a version of this song? Uh, so keep save your money for next year kids
3: speak um, for yourself microphone face you can get my version on on amazon mp3 so there you go my bad <laughs> all right i gotta record
6: my own i will take it um so that being said you know it's not a surprise that this showed up on uh, on this album because it's just the boys adding their spin on uh, on what's quickly becoming a contemporary standard
3: christine
7: well, yeah, just like Tim said, everybody has covered it. I have been racking my brain for, uh, well, ever since I knew that this was going to be a track on this album, trying to figure out which, I'm sure it was a Disney compilation <laughs> that Jordan had, that she played this particular song and, and Wham's Last Christmas, those two tracks on that album to death oh my god and so I can't remember which which version which you know which band covered it
6: it was the 18s on 2002's radio Disney holiday jams volume 2 it must have
7: been it really must have been but (laughs) so having said that Mickey's version is serviceable but it's not my favorite (laughs) 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 Yeah, you you go with what's been seared into your neural
5: cortex right (laughs) (laughs)
3: very good Roseanne
5: I'm gonna just say ditto ditto and so forth I enjoy it a lot because I like Mickey's take on it Um, and yeah it suits the album perfectly
3: Sarah
4: not having been familiar with the disney release of this one uh i think this is actually my favorite version of it um it it's it's performed well it's a good arrangement uh yeah it's a it's it's one of those modern classics and uh yeah i really enjoyed uh, this version of it
3: and i encourage you all to check out the move they were very influential to a lot of the bands that you probably love and they later pretty much became elo that's something to, you know, embrace what's out there.
6: If you want to find the original version of uh, I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day, the, the band Wizard with two Zs is the original releaser.
3: Yeah. Yes. Wizard begat the move, which begat ELO, which begat a <laughs> lot of things. So Yeah. So check it out.
5: How Christmas of you to begat so many things.
3: Yes. <laughs> well, they're rock stars. You know, Roseanne, on Christmas, I try to be getting a lot of Christmas
8: presents.
3: (laughs) You know, Michael Nesmith could have done that joke. Our next track, Silver Bells.
0: Silver bells, silver bells It's Christmas time in the city Hear them ring, ring ring-a-ling Of streetlights, even stoplights blink a bright red and green as the shoppers rush home with their treasures. Hear the snow crunch, see the kids bunch. This is Santa's big scene, and above all the bustle, you hear. Silver bells, silver bells, it's Christmas time in the city. Hear them ring, ring a ling.
3: Silver Bells, with the return of Davy Jones, written by Jay Livingston and Ray Evans. We have our string section returned. The Davy vocal was recorded by Chip Douglas in 1991. This version was updated with new music on May 9th, 2018. So this is one of the first tracks to be completely recorded. Roseanne, your thoughts on Davy Jones' Silver Bells?
5: I love this version, uh, and I'm not a Davy girl, but I do. Who doesn't like Davy? Um, the worst thing about hearing this song—that sounds odd—but here's what I mean: it makes me sad to think of how, before his time, Davy was. Because in the modern world, you've got your Neil Patrick Harris who can mm-hmm. go from cheesy TV show to Broadway to you know all, everything in between, and Davy could and should have done that. But we were not a sophisticated enough audience in America at the time to recognize that. And, you know, in a world where Cher can do anything she darn well pleases. And James Corden goes from Broadway to talk shows to, you know, his wonderful karaoke stuff.
3: And don't forget Hugh Jackman.
5: Exactly. I mean, think of all the people who do what Davy should have been able to do, but we were just too dumb to figure it out. I will never get over that fact. I think that's wrong. And it was a disservice to him. But I'm glad to have this beautiful song to remember how much he could do.
3: Just think, Davy Jones is Wolverine. Could have happened. (laughs) He's the right height. He'll take
7: out your kneecaps. (laughs) Wolverine
3: is actually very short. Tim is right on the money. He's, He's the right height. Sarah Clark, your thoughts?
4: Um, I'd like to give a shout out to the section quartet, which is the string quartet that played on this song and a couple others. Um, Daphne Chen looks like first, was first violin and did the arrangement on this. I thought the strings on this were gorgeous. I mean, they just leaned into kind of the classical arrangement of this classical song and, you know, it, it it got me into, on a personal note, I've just moved, you know, a, 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 to a new city, to Philadelphia, and hearing this really got me, you know, kind of in the mood for my first Christmas in the big city, so.
3: Hopefully you'll have Christmas time in the city, and you'll get to hear them ring, ring-a-ling. Soon it will be Christmas Day, Sarah. Yep. Christine.
7: My only note was that no one does sincere, traditional schmaltz like Davy Jones. And I mean that with all uh, sincerity and affection. Schmaltz is a good thing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially at Christmas.
3: Schmaltz blue ribbon. Now, Tim, just think we could have had Wolverine say, but I am standing up. Bub.
6: Yeah. Yep. 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 The comic nerd strike again.
3: That's right. <laughs> Our next track, Wonderful Christmas Time. Christmas time, written by Paul McCartney. We see the Beatles entering into the world of the Monkees once again. We have the same band that we've had up till now, pretty much, except for on the NES tracks. And this was recorded May 5th and 6th. As someone who loves Paul McCartney to death, this song has both been something that I've really enjoyed and something that I absolutely hated because. As good as the song is, and the the lyrics are fine, everything's fine, everything's serviceable. It's that ridiculous Casio keyboard that he got from a Kmart (laughs) and tried to pass off as a real instrument for, well, forever. It just sounded like a farty keyboard, and it was a horrible sound, and I dislike it. Even though I've grown to love the song, if I pretty much only listen to it at Christmas time, I can survive. Uh, This song starts out like all the other versions of it with a bum 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 bum. and I actually enjoy this one quite a lot. Christine, your thoughts on Wonderful Christmas Time?
7: Well, okay, so I actually really like the the Casio keyboard version of the McCartney song, because I think that the spirit of the song is all about home and family and close friends, and it's just a casual thing. And that's the sound of the original song. I really liked how in this version, they mimicked a lot of that with the use of strings, right? I mean, they mm-hmm. didn't lose any of that original charm. They just took away the electronica. Schm- and I'm not going to say schmaltziness again, but the electric, the electric, uh, cheesiness,
3: the electric flatulence of the Casio. <laughs> Tim, your thoughts. Well, you,
6: I have a very unpopular opinion of, uh, of McCartney's version. Um, I'd rather have a root canal than hear that record again. It's uh, it's it's a terrible, cheesy. Um, it's it's just a bad record from somebody who knew better. Paul McCartney's written some of the most uh, most timeless and well-crafted pop songs of the 20th century, and he phoned it in on this one. He really did, and it's just kind of a it's a half-assed lyric. It's a half-assed composition. And you couldn't do any worse, Mickey was handed it, and he did a, he did a fine job with it, and the band polished it up as best they could.
3: right, Nice reworking. But the song continues to make money for McCartney every single year well
6: I mean yeah, but I mean that's that's the nature of a Christmas album, and that's yeah. why people do Christmas albums mm. in fact um, in fact that's according to an interview, one of the reasons I read that McCartney wrote the song in the first place is because you get residuals every twelve months. <laughs> is like i'm paul mccartney i could i you know i could sneeze merry christmas and they and they'll play it every year and sure enough they did hello love could
3: you give me some pancakes oh and bring the checks in yeah
5: you make residuals sound like a bad thing
3: yeah it's a good thing (laughs) we
5: tv writers (laughs) like them very much
3: (laughs) anybody feel anything about this that they want to say anything sarah
4: I like this song. Don't hit me. We won't. <laughs> I didn't hit you, Sarah. I hit
6: the song. There's jump, a difference between the two I'm, of you. Jump, I'm, I'm, I'm he hits hit
4: Sir yeah. Paul. He hits Sir Paul. I mean, I, I agree that the uh, the original arrangement <laughs> was a bit um, dated, um, but I, I think this is just for what it is. It's a lovely little Christmas song, and yes, it's kind of on that line between earnest and cheesy, but isn't that what Christmas albums are for? (laughs) Well,
6: that's the irony of this entire conversation.
3: (laughs) (laughs) The weird thing about all of this is that Sir Paul has those probably still in multi-tracks. And someday he'll drag them out and go, okay, I'll change the keyboard song just for me, and it'll come out on a deluxe edition of something, and I'll be so happy to get it and go, but I still want the old one too. Exactly. So it, it doesn't really matter. Yep. It's become part of my holiday at this point. I would be upset if I didn't hear it at this point. Right. I'd be, be alright if I didn't hear it. Right.
4: <laughs> I will note, however, that this gave me the idea that, you know, kind of in the vein of Remember and King for a Day, I'd love to hear Mickey if he were to do another one of kind of his solo uh, covers, albums, a uh, McCartney and or Lennon uh, solo album uh, could be really cool for Mickey.
3: That'd be great.
4: Because he hey, also I did a great that. job on "Good Morning, Good Morning," you know. Mm-hmm.
5: And to to totally update this recording, you have to say a uh, McCartney, a Lennon, and possibly a Yoko Ono song, since "Imagine" is not. Oh, you, yes. you went there. Good for wow. you. Good Can't for not you. note that if the man said it himself, you That's know, right. he means it, and he it's a whole thing that really needs to be recognized. She co-wrote that song, and it's a beautiful song. So. Yep.
3: And the older I get, the more I love Yoko. So there. Uh, me too. Uh-huh. But since this is not things I love about the Beatles cast, which is coming two thousand no, uh, yeah, you kidding. need another podcast, Ken. like I need yeah. a hole in the head, yeah,
7: <laughs> a hole in me pocket,
3: <laughs> a hole in me pocket, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Our next song, the formerly wool hat, it Michael Nesmith returns, and a song written by Claude Thornhill. With instruments and backing vocals, Jonathan Nesmith. To hear more about the making of this track, check out the Rhino podcast with uh, John Hughes, Mickey Dolenz, and Michael Nesmith. This song was recorded on August 26, 2018. The song is called Snowfall. Snowfall Roseanne, your take on Snowfall.
5: I think it's a beautiful song, and I think he does it beautifully. I think that um, I like the idea that he wants to keep alive these famous songwriters from the past. Claude Thornhill was a great big band guy. He started his career in Cleveland, Ohio, which is where I'm from, Hmm. so I knew of him. And I sometimes feel bad because I visit a relative who lives in Palm Springs, California, where many of the streets are named after big band performers. Yes. And when we take younger um, family members there, they don't recognize the names at all. And so we have to explain why this street or that street is somebody who was once really famous and, in fact, wrote music that you still hear today, you just don't know who to credit it to. Mm -hmm. So I give uh, Nesmith tons of points for wanting to do that. Um, And then I have to laugh because I am from Ohio and there is nothing romantic about snow. So I find this song something that is sarcastic when, of course, it really isn't. It's quite beautiful and a a lovely um, romantic thought about the season that he does quite well.
3: Now, I disagree with you. Snow can be wonderful if you don't have anywhere you have to be and you've got (laughs) cocoa and you can sit in a window and watch it. That's yes, beautiful. but
5: as, as someone who was once a teacher in Ohio to have to be on the road at six in the morning in yep. the snow scraping your car and sliding around backwards on the freeway only yeah. to hear that your school has been canceled.'t <laughs> <laughs> wait to leave in case it wasn't canceled. there's nothing romantic about. It.
3: You can almost see a movie where Carmen Diaz is starring in a film, and she's scraping ice off her window and f- driving through four foot of snow as this song is playing. Yes. It, it could yes. definitely be used in movies in a <laughs> uh, nice, ironic way. So,
5: But it is gorgeous, and it isn't meant to be ironic at all, and
3: it's quite beautiful. Right. Very good. Sarah?
4: I just love the arrangement on this song. That I think I, in my review I wrote, I called it Cosmic Country. I mean, it's just totally, totally Nez. And now I need to go check out Jonathan Nesmith's back catalog. And um, this was a song, you know, I'd heard here and there, but wasn't terribly familiar with it. But the, this was just another magnificent performance. So,
3: Yes. You can also check out the Manhattan Transfers version of this, which Mike kind of said Ooh. they've already done the uh, the layout. Let's let's kind of follow that. Christine. Mm-hmm.
7: Yeah, I'm I'm with you, Ken. Well, I'm also with uh, Roseanne. Nobody wants to be driving around in that slop, but <laughs> when, when you don't have to be, there's nothing more nothing that will make the world seem so pure. Maybe even so small as being able to sit inside of a nice warm home, <laughs> watching the gentle snowflakes drift down, maybe dancing in the dark in the moonlight or in front of a street light just outside of that window. Um, there is nothing more peaceful. And I think that the mood and the arrangement of the song captures that perfectly. I love it.
3: Mm-hmm. kind of goes back to the Monkees uh, albums. Well, really since the first one, right? You never knew what you were going to hear on a Monkees album. You could hear ragtime, dancehall, all sorts of stuff. And it was all the Monkees. So, very good. Our next track is Angels We Have Heard on High. Angels
8: we have heard on high
2: Sweetly sing
0: This is Peter Tork, and you're listening to Zilch, a
3: Peter Tork podcast. Angels, we have heard on high. A traditional song with lyrics by James Chadwick. Vocalist Peter Tork. It's good to hear him. Arranged by James Lee Stanley and Peter Tork. Peter Tork on banjo, lead vocals. And on the 12-string guitar is James Lee Stanley. Sarah, take lead on this one.
4: Oh, I am so thrilled that we, I believe, for the first time, have a uh, song on a monkeys album with a credit from James Lee Stanley. The very first, like, monkeys or monkeys adjacent show I ever went to was uh, during James Lee and uh, Peter's two man band tour, which was amazing. And they put out a couple of albums together as a duo, and you all need to find them. Hear, hear. Um, excellent, excellent, great, mm-hmm. just. Folky music. It's just excellent. And this, oh man, this tune got me right in the gut, right in the feels. It was, the banjo on it is gorgeous, of course, because Peter and banjo. uh, And I I know that the vocal performance on it was a little controversial. Some people were grumbling that there was too much auto-tune or processing or something going on, but Whatever was going on there, it was like, it, it, you still, um, for all the knocks that Peter sometimes gets about his singing, which a lot of them I don't think are totally fair, you still get his heart in this delivery and this performance. And I think, uh, heck, I'll come out and say it. This is my favorite vocal performance by Peter Tork on a Monkees album ever. Mm. And I will fight anybody who wants to fight <laughs> me. get me
8: on it. Fight <laughs> me.
3: Bring it on. I personally would love it if Peter Tork would put an album out called I Got a Banjo for Christmas, and it was nothing but him doing Christmas songs. I'd, I'd just eat that up in a heartbeat. It was another moment that brought me to tears. Mm-hmm. And tears with the knowledge of where we are right now. Me too. What we've had and, and just where we are, period. Because uh, we are blessed, folks. If you want to complain about this album, we are blessed to have it. And, you know, you don't have to buy this. You <laughs> do not have to buy it. It's a good point. There cause. is no monkey law on the boards that says if it's, if it's a product from Rhino or even something that's got their names on it. I mean, you would think that the, the guy's solo works would prove that you don't have to buy it, right? But if it's got that monkey's logo on it, by God, it's time to complain and circle the wagons and start the fires. It's a riot. Here we come. (laughs) So to speak. We riot if they don't do anything, and we riot if they do. So you don't have to buy this album, and you don't have to like the cover, and you don't have to like it. But I'd rather hear this song in 2018 than not hear it.
8: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's right. Agreed.
3: I really wish that they would have just let Peter Torque's voice be Peter Torque's voice. The man is authentic, and I doubt that the same guy who just did a tribute album to Lead Belly would want to come off sounding like a modern teen pop star.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: Um, um, of the of the folks at the roundtable, how many of you have the uh, James Lee Stanley's Beachwood Christmas album? Me. Yeah, I have yeah. it too. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really for as far as Christmas albums go, it's pretty tasty. There's a lot of talent. Yeah. There's a lot of skill on there. And uh, there is a banjo only version of this cut yes. uh, with with Peter's banjo. That is that is certainly worth checking out. Yeah. I
5: have Two things quickly to say. One is that it made me sadly think when I said earlier about how Mike, it takes Mike being a monkey to get the chance to sing the Christmas song. This song made me wonder if Peter was disserved by ending up in The monkeys. only in that on his own. He reminds me of the Bob Dylan-esque mm-hmm. character he could have been without the disrespect that he had to fight against for all those years. Because everything in the song does that for me. Um, and I also loved what Sarah had written in her fandom lenses about the lessons that we've learned from watching this group for so many years, and it made me think that when I took my son to a couple of concerts when I was writing the book, he—I asked him what he took away from all of it, and he said he learned to find something he loves in life the way they had, so that he could continue doing it when he was an older man the way they had. And that is the beauty of the monkeys to me.
7: Mm. I'm actually sitting here trying to regain my composure because um, this this song is so. It's so meaningful to me for all the reasons that you said, both Ken and Sarah, we are so blessed for what these four men have given us in their teams. The the musicians built around them as well. But for 52 years, we've been blessed with new output and their obvious love of their fans none of them need to be doing any of this. And so knowing that we know that Peter had put out a statement about his health needing some additional attention. We don't know what that means. I don't want to know what that means, honestly. Amen,
4: Amen, Um, sister.
7: Because because it's just not my goddamn business, you know? Um, But the fact that he want whatever that meant means and where whatever is occupying his time. And I think that if that family is occupying his time a lot lately, and that's a good thing, but the fact that he wanted to give the fans something for this album speaks of the generosity of, of Peter Tork and um, the goodness of his heart and that he picked This song and this style of delivery, um, it says everything that I need to know about him as a person. And I'm so glad to have it on this album.
3: Agreed. Folks, you may have wanted more Peter Torque on the Christmas Party album. But if you want to really hear more Peter Torque and hear what he wants to do, pick up a copy of Relax Your Mind. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of Peter Tork on that album, and you want Peter Tork? He's out there. He's doing what he wants to do. And if you want to hear what he really wants to do, away from the Kirshnerism, if you will, check out Relax Your Mind. It's great, it's fun, and he sounds in great voice and spirits, more importantly. So get a hold of it, make it part of your collection. If you say you love the monkeys, support them. Our next track is Merry Christmas, Baby.
2: Babe, sure did treat me nice Sure did treat me nice Merry Christmas, babe Sure did treat me nice Sure did treat me nice Gave me a diamond ring for Christmas so nice. Now I'm living so in paradise nice.
3: By Baxter and more, vocalist Mickey Dolenz. And this one was recorded May 6th, 8th, July 20th, and 29th. And if we look at what happened around all of this time, there was some tours with Mickey and tours with him as a monkey with Mike and everything else that happened. And Tim, I want you to take us back to another version of I Was There and I'm Told I Had a Good Time. It's Merry Christmas Baby in That Vein. Mary Christmas! I think
6: probably the most famous version of this song is Chuck Berry's version. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's arguable, but certainly the one that, that comes to mind. Uh, and there's always been a connection between Mickey and Chuck Berry, right down to Mickey's interview answer 44B, uh, where he <laughs> mentions <laughs> that his audition piece was Johnny B. Good. And you know he never misses an opportunity to cover uh, to cover Chuck Berry. Even Nez has covered Chuck Berry. He did Nadine on the mm-hmm. uh, Live at the Palais album. And uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's just a, a cool Christmas bluesy. Those of us who have spent uh, Christmas uh, alone in an apartment where all you got is uh, is a bottle of whiskey and your radio, I've been there, folks, and and it's real evocative of that moment. Uh, Mickey gives it just that right amount of monkey spin and, and charms it up beautifully. And the band, I mean, you put any three guys in a good band together and they can cover Chuck Berry capably. These guys did an exceptionally good job.
8: Mm hmm.
4: This now makes me wish there was a shoe suede blues holiday album. Though I'm, I'm <laughs> giving everybody homework assignments to do solo albums, <laughs> but because I, I I could see Peter really attacking this one too. In fact, I thought to myself it it, it could have been a cool duet of the two of them. But but the um, the kind of the standard backing band that was on most of uh, Mickey's tracks does a great job here, and um, you know especially David Mead's work doing backgrounds with Mickey. I wanted to give that a shout out because it was. It was really good, too. This is one of those bluesy standards. And as Tim said, Mickey can do that all day long. So wonderful, wonderful track to end the standard version of the album. Mm -hmm. Roseanne? I did a little brief
5: research because I wanted to know more about the writers and discovered there's actually a controversy that it's um, the band leader, Charles Brown, is said to have actually written the song, um, not Johnny Moore. Excuse me, Ooh. Charles Brown was the arranger, not Johnny Moore, but Moore got his name on it, and there were lots of people who said, no, no, we saw Brown write it, we heard Brown do it. Brown went on later, of course, to work with uh, the influence Ray Charles and to be this really important guy um, in the Hall of Fame. So it's kind of sad that his name isn't on a song that's this important.
6: Mm. Very good.
5: But I love the way Mickey did it.
6: Yeah. Johnny Johnson's Piano on chuck berry's version of merry christmas baby is absolutely transcendent it is just beautiful blues tack hammer piano and uh not to take o- take anything away from this album but if you want to go back to the source material and just hear something that is uh just mm-hmm. a beautiful piece of recorded music check out what johnny did uh behind chuck berry's awesome blues guitar on the on the for lack of a better term the original version of this
3: very good For those of you who just bought the standard edition, your album is over. But for the rest of you who got the Target Deluxe version, and you should, I recommend it highly, we have a brand new version of Ryu Chiu. Vocal Arrangements by Chip Douglas, recorded November 22, 1967. and This is a brand new, cleaned up version from the uh, actual soundtrack of the show. And it's fantastic. It's pretty much a live recording.
1: Rio, rio, shiu, la guada vera Dios cuadra el lobo de nuestra
0: cordera. Dios cuadra, el lobo de nuestra cordera. Rio, rio, shiu, la Guadari. vera Dios cuadra, el lobo de nuestra cordera. Dios guardo el lobo lobo de nuestra codera El lobo rabioso la quiso mover Mas Dios poderoso la supo defender Quiso le hacer que no pudiese pecar Y no original estu virgen no tuviera Riu, riu, sciu, l'agua da Rivera Dios guardo el lobo de nuestra codera
3: Sarah, your thoughts?
4: Yeah, from what I understand, it is a live recording. They sang it live to tape, which should say something about how amazing all four of them were as vocalists, especially kind of at the peak of their powers uh, in late '67. I have loved this song forever for decades it has been a Christmas standard on like all of my playlists and you know mixtapes before that uh, it's lovely to get a TV version and not a lot to say that hasn't been said about this song many times I think a lot of us uh, consider it uh, among our favorite Christmas songs
3: mm-hmm. If there's one song that should have wound up on the regular version it, it should have been this this is how that should have ended yeah mm-hmm.
4: I, I understand the perhaps financial motivation for the, the the lineup and i don't begrudge anybody that but yeah <laughs> <laughs> meant we all had to buy it twice i mean
3: if you, if you're going to have well you don't have to you could have just <laughs> waited but but if you're going to have a monkey's christmas album this needs to be on it christine your thoughts
7: well, I would disagree the tracks that they chose to put on the bonus version, they did it just the right way because while I'm thrilled to have these tracks Ryuichi especially on an officially released album, many of us already had them had these songs in other ways. If we really wanted to have it on an official album, this was the way to to satisfy those and be those folks who didn't have it and still make room for other new material. So if, if you already had these songs and didn't care to get them again, the standard version is the way to go. If you needed these tracks, then you have the bonus version. So I'm quite fine
5: with, with the way that they lined these up.
3: Mm-hmm. Roseanne, any thoughts?
5: Oh, of course, because this comes directly from the show. And if there's anything I'm supposed to know more about, it's the show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yes, same thing. This has been on my Facebook page every Christmas. It's it's such a uh, same thing Sarah said. It's such a standard for me. However, I think what's really worth recognizing right now is the beauty of, in a mainstream American television program, uh, a character singing in another language
3: Mm. and
5: respecting the original piece. In that way. And then that it is Mickey was, of course, great for me. But also, we have to remember that at the time the show was on the air, Mickey was the weird ethnic sidekick. There was not yet going to be um, Latin American characters or African American characters yet or whatever. So that, you know, he was the ethnic piece of that show. And so to give him and that just the whole idea of giving a different um, ethnic group. This respect is so beautiful and so needed in the world. But it, the song is powerful in many, many
3: ways. Mm-hmm. Very good, Tim.
6: I like how it's cleaned up a lot. Uh, you know, I've heard this. Uh, I've heard this cut in various incarnations uh, over the years. The studio version with Chips vocals in it. Um, you know, some that are just ripped directly off. Uh, you know, somebody's somebody's TV. And I like that. It, I like that. This is all super cleaned up. But I'll tell you one of the things that really makes me glad that this is on the album is the first time that I met Peter, he was at a signing and I brought the that Australian 40 timeless hits uh double disc compilation. Mm -hmm. And I put it in front of him. He's like, Oh, I love this record. It's got Ryu on it. And I'm like no it doesn't but i'm not going to tell you your career so just you're fine and he <laughs> went on for like 10 minutes about how that was the monkeys finest hour as a as a performance group and his favorite moment being part of the the monkeys period was contributing those harmonies uh for that particular piece and i'm like well that's good enough for me
3: no very good our next song and it's finally made it on a proper monkeys album. And it is Christmas is My Time of Year, written by Howard Kalen, Chip Douglas.
2: Christmas Day.
3: Dolans and Davy Jones, the Hammond B3 organ played by Peter Tork, guitar, bass, vocals, and brass arrangement Chip Douglas, drums by Fast Eddie Ho, guitar Jeff Jones, pedal steel Billy London, and piccolo trumpet Ollie Mitchell recorded October 1976. Finally, on a Monkees album, we have Christmas is my time of year. Tim Powers, your thoughts? finally uh finally made an honest woman out of her this is finally
6: a legitimate track um it's shown up in some some Rhino Christmas anthologies first of all i love howard Kalen and and really happy that uh that this christmas song gets uh gets some airplay now and then it's it's really interesting and now that there's a much cleaner version it's it's good to see it's good to hear and uh and i like what they've done to it i'm glad it's finally included and i'm glad that i can uh I'm glad I can own a copy and not feel like a like a dirty pirate Mm -hmm. Dr. Clark your thoughts
4: (laughs) I don't have a whole lot to add from what Tim said it's this is just a sweet song. I actually only discovered it a few years ago. I knew it was a thing um, ever since the '80s because I was just one of those nerdy monkeys fans who inhaled all the trivia she could find. But I didn't actually hear this till I don't know four or five years ago, and it's just a sweet little song. A, a, a great Christmas ditty. I love the lyrics, and it's a great performance. It's a it's it's from a very underrepresented to time in the guy's career being the seventies and it's just a fun little song. And I think it's wonderful that it gets, as as said, an official release on a monkeys album.
6: Thank you, Dr. Clark. Dr. Welch, your thoughts?
5: I'm just going to say that it's an example (laughs) of the fact that they ought to have been able to continue as a group post all the nonsense but the nonsense was too hard to get over and i think that's really really sad because the song proves that they were still vocally um interesting and worth paying attention to
3: so that's the album proper but we need to judge this book by its cover or in this sense this record by its cover what do you think of this fantastic cover by michael allred tim powers
6: i think uh mike allred is showing that he is a uh, he is a zilch level monkeys fan and we love him for it and knowing michael a little bit uh, i know this was a dream come true for him and uh i'm as happy with the results as he is
3: mm-hmm. sarah
4: this is like a vision of what i would have wanted to see under my christmas tree when in like 1987 when i was 10 and a, you know brand shiny new monkeys fan it's got all the iconography you would see even like the creepy finger puppets. I have opinions about that thing. Uh, but I love the m- lunchbox. I have that lunchbox. And, but, but the thing that, that, that struck my mind and confused me a little bit is you've got all kind of the iconography you'd expect the monkey mobile, Mr. Schneider, um, the monkey man, um, Christmas ornaments, which John Hughes, if, rhino put those out i think people would buy them just, just oh, throwing cool, that cool. out there but down at the bottom of the screen we see the guys like in their head outfits running uh, off the screen edge of the cover i'm tr- I, i'm kind of been trying to ponder what i think that's about it's interesting well what does it mean to you I don't know. I mean I know we know we all know what that means in the context of the movie head where they're basically all running away from the mob to jump off the bridge. It just seems an odd image to put on a monkey's album and I'm not I guess it kind of made me think of sort of that darker strain that you see at certain points in this uh, album you know House of Broken Gingerbread and and then sort of just kind of the real world events that were going on around the time this album came together and it made me think of those things as well whether or not it was deliberate but I would love to know from Mike Allred why he made that particular artistic choice
3: Fellas, if you're not careful, you're going to end up back in the box with yep. paper and a ribbon.
4: <laughs> exactly.
3: <laughs> I almost wish there would have been a black box with red ribbon wrapped around it that had been opened and we see them running away from it. That would, oh, be that would have been perfect. <laughs> but I believe that they're running away from the, the robot.
4: Uh, you might Maybe.
5: be onto something there, Ken. It is moving. I think he's just, think he's just trying to homage every aspect of their... yeah rare that he can so Head has to get in there and what's another way that they're all four sort of together I don't know that was my thought okay.
3: so now we see Mr. Sh- Schneider move into the modern age with a digital Mr. Schneider so there you go
8: mm-hmm.
5: see I wanted the TV I wanted a TV set that was like a 1960s TV set with them in it yeah
6: or yeah. well, a big eye. Cool. <laughs> yeah
5: yeah I mean that's what I'm missing but...
6: I wanted to see a Batmobile
3: maybe the next one <laughs> the Batmobile
7: I love it. I think they're running around to the back of the cover and they're going to reappear on the right side again (laughs)
8: because it's cyclical.
7: Yeah, this is true. (laughs) They're running around the skirt of the tree.
3: Perhaps uh, it's just an album that's going to get played every Christmas from here on. There you go. Well, we want to thank you for listening to our Monkey's Christmas Party, as we discuss Monkey's Christmas Party. We hope that you make this part of your holiday celebration. And happy holidays, folks, from all of us to all of you. Right, gang? Right. Cool. Yeah. Yes. Cool. You. We wish merry you a merry Christmas difficult. or whatever the heck you celebrate. And the same goes for Christmas. <gasps> Yay!
2: Yay! And that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fancy made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members, past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Burke. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around.
1: <laughs> Don't, now. Now, really, everybody cool it, because I won't be able to get through this. actually gotcha. Hey, wow. It's a groovy button.
2: What does it say? Love is the ultimate trip. Oh, gee, that's a nice start. Gee, that's a neat button. What
4: does it say? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go again. Wait. You're what? not st- reading off the right credits.
3: I'm not a Christmas song. No, you're right, I'm not. I'm not. Such Damn it, Ken. Good call, Sarah.
4: Damn it, Ken.
7: So much for professional podcasting. Yeah. You know what? This
6: is bullshit. I'll be in my trailer.
7: <laughs> well we'll we'll flip the white in the black box for you, Tim, when it's your turn. <laughs> <Yep>.
6: <laughs> <laughs> oh god, this would be fun if I were sober. Um
5: that's another frotus caper all over again. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, there's no quiet way to open up a bag of chips. Mr. Bean would teach us that. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to do it as silently as possible. God bless him. But <laughs> It's like
7: unwrapping the hard candy in the movie theater. Just do it and get it yeah, over right. with.
4: I <laughs> want <laughs> oh, <laughs> <off> the band <laughs> Yeah, just
3: rip the band-aid off and get it over with. Okay, back to professional podcast recording.
4: I was trying to be, okay. like, organized and shit. Yeah. I should know better
3: now. Yep.
6: Zilch is experiencing technical difficulties. Please <laughs> stand by. Please stand
3: by. This is a brand new cleaned up version.
4: 1967.
6: What did I
4: say? 1968. I did? Mm-hmm. Actually, you did. stop oh, crap. <clears throat> Welcome. This is gonna be the best blooper reel ever.
7: <laughs> going off of what Sarah and Ken and Roseanne and
3: oh, hold on a second.
4: <laughs> oh shit!
8: Come
3: we're on. getting we're getting really bad <laughs> feedback from Somebody's Christine's buzzing. mic. Okay, it's she's Christine. buzzing. Yeah. Why oh, oh, you doing it? You guys are complaining about that. <laughs> Buzzy, do you have any uh, thoughts if you can hear? <laughs>